All right, last week, God opened up his store of snow and ice, (laughs) and so many of you weren't here, and we get that. I hope many of you were able to connect online with us, but there were uh, about 80 or so that showed up, and we've been in Romans chapter 8, the mountaintop of Romans. We're right in the middle of Romans right now, and I asked a question last week is, what is a Christian? And that question could be answered biblically lots of different ways. But as we're on the mountaintop of Romans 8, we answer it this way. A Christian is somebody who clearly has the Spirit of God at work in them. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 is making a very clear distinction. Those who have the Spirit of God, those are the ones that know God, who have come into a relationship with God. Those who don't have the Spirit of God have not had that happen. So the Apostle Paul, at this point in this letter, being led by the Holy Spirit, is emphasizing this transformative work in the lives of believers. We saw this contrast last week, a life according to the flesh or a life according to the Spirit. We are born according to the flesh. That's how we normally would live our lives according to our physical being and and even the bent nature that we're born with, but the Spirit of God changes us, amen? Amen. We're here today because the Spirit of God changed us and He changed our mindset. Last week we saw this mindset on the Spirit. I loved that portion where we can't please God without the Spirit of God working in us. But now we have a new want to, we want to please God. And now we have a new can do because of the Spirit of God, we can please God as He works in us. And through us. So here's the the section we ended with last week because it's all kind of connected here. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It doesn't want to, and it can't. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So that goes right into our text today, starting in verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness." But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth that is unchanging. And again, we're recognizing today that apart from your spirit helping us understand Uh, We won't get this, and Father, we want to understand fully your truth, so it can change us. So um, I guess I'll pray on behalf of all of us here today, would you work through your truth today uh, that we would be more like Jesus because of this time? Can you say amen to that? So notice the contrast. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, you are not in the flesh, but in the what? The spirit. 
The Apostle Paul is clearly making a contrast between a believer and an unbeliever, and the distinctive difference is humbling. We're not any better than an unbeliever. It's just that the Spirit of God has worked in us. We are not naturally morally better than anybody else. There is not something good in us that God said, I want that person on my team. That didn't happen. The Spirit of God moved and changed us. You've heard that phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. That's kind of been revamped a number of different ways, and I actually tracked it all the way back to the 1500s to a Puritan writer, John Bradford, and it said that he spoke those words as he watched people being led to execution for their crimes. And he said, except for the grace of God, there go I. We could all say that, amen? The only reason we are different than a non-believer, and please know we should be different, is because the Spirit of God has worked in us and is working in us. Apart from that gracious work of God, there would be no difference. Now, if we understand that and we'll accept that, that saves us from this tendency to pride and arrogance and keeps us at this place of humble dependence on God. So as we walk through this text today, here's the first thing we see. The definitive indwelling by the Spirit. Verse 11 again says, However, you are not in, the, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed, or since indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. There's a whole bunch packed into there. Let me just grab a few things that we might miss. Notice the word dwells. It's used two other times in this text. It's an interesting word. It's obviously a verb, but comes from a noun, which means home. The Holy Spirit, then, could be translated, makes his home in us. The Holy Spirit is at home in us. The Jerusalem Bible renders it, the Spirit of God has made a home in you. So we see that this work of the Holy Spirit has this relational aspect to it. It's not some mystic power that just shows up. It's not some abstract influence or a hypothetical idea. It is the person of God, the Holy Spirit, who makes his home in us. That's important to understand. Practically and theologically, we should never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. The Scripture never refers to the Holy Spirit as some sort of abstract influence, but always personal. Our God is a personal God which sets the God of the Bible 
off distinctly different than any other so-called God. God is a personal God. And let me say this, all of God is personal. It's not just God the Father and God the Son, but also God the Holy Spirit. So God, the Holy Spirit, this personal God, makes his home in us. Now, I love being at home. Do you? Some of us maybe got a little tired of being at home this last week. Maybe. Because when I'm at home, I'm comfortable. Some of you may have come by my home when I'm at home on my day off. And you've recognized I get very comfortable in my home. You would not want me to be at home at your place like I'm at home in my place. I wear things at home that you wouldn't want me to wear at your place. Can I say it this way? I don't wear things at home (laughs) that you wouldn't want me not to wear at your place. You understand where I'm going here? When I'm at home, I lay on my couch, and I put my feet up, and I eat what I want to eat. Let me say again, you would not want me to be at home in your house. Trying to make the point, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He makes his home in us. It is to be comfortable, going where he wants to go, doing what he wants to do. So when we read three times in this text, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are being reminded of this personal attribute of God. God is relational. He doesn't just somehow desire to come in and abstractly control us, but to dwell in us, to move in us, to relate to us, to communicate to us. He wants to live in us and through us with his personal power. Now, that word dwell is used in many other places in the New Testament. We just don't have time to go there to drive this point home. Have we made the point, though? The Holy Spirit is to be at home. He dwells in us personally, not some abstract influence. Now, we also see, once again, the fact that the person of the Holy Spirit, as he dwells in us, it is the definitive proof. It is the definitive proof that we belong to him. You see it there. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, same, it's, it's, it's a different phrase, same point, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he does not belong to him. That word belong, it's Not to get technical, it's an absolute negative, so it could be literally translated, he is none of his. That person has nothing to do with God if the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in them. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is definitive proof of relationship or belonging or change of status It is the Spirit of God that has drawn us to him. It is the Spirit of God that has convinced us of sin. It is the Spirit of God that has enlivened faith in us to believe, and then he dwells in us. Now, I'm I'm camping here just a little bit because there are some that would teach 
that there is some kind of second uh, second blessing or a second experience where we get a little bit of the Holy Spirit at the point of our conversion, but then we can get the whole package later on. And again, this text and many others would push against that. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's a completeness. When the Holy Spirit dwells in us, he comes fully, completely. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you have all of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't portion himself off to some, and you have to come up later for more. I want you to notice in the text the different ways the Spirit's relationship with the believer is mentioned. And I want you to notice particularly that phrase, in the Spirit. It's interesting. The Spirit dwells in us, but then he goes on to say, but we are in the Spirit. Now I want to take you back to something we covered at the beginning of Romans 8, where it said this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. I hold those up together because, yes, we believe in Jesus, and now he is in us. Yes, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, but we are actually in the Holy Spirit. Again, it shows this complete immersion within the triune God. So being in Christ happens at the same time as being in the Spirit, So being in Christ and being in the Holy Spirit are one and the same. Again, driving home the point, there's not an additional step to get from being in Christ to then being in the Spirit. Now that same truth, let me stay here just a little bit longer because some of us get confused, and I think a large portion of the body of Christ is confused about this. In 1 Corinthians 12, look at this. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and so all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Watch now. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of the one Spirit. So there's some different images there, but being this idea of being baptized into one body, it's the Spirit that does that. He places us into the body of Christ. He indwells us, then he empowers us completely. So here in Romans, and confirmed by other passages, the work of the Holy Spirit is a definitive work. It is a personal work, and I would say it is a permanent work. I'll say it once again to drive home the point. If you're a follower of Jesus' day, you have all of the Holy Spirit. You would not be a Christian if you didn't have all of the Holy Spirit. You cannot lose the Holy Spirit. You can't get more of the Holy Spirit. But what you and I can do is submit more fully all of our lives to the Holy Spirit. A couple weeks ago, I used an illustration that D.L. Moody once used about the cup and how do you get the air out of the cup, you fill it with the water. I read this week something else about him. Uh, He was a a great evangelist, and one time he was going to uh, a town in England for an evangelistic service, and one of the uh, 
elderly pastors of the area was a bit threatened by this. And he said this, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated. He's inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Then a younger pastor, much wiser, said this, no, but the Holy Spirit evidently has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you in submission to the Holy Spirit? Here's the next thing we see in our text is we see this internal transformation by the Spirit. Notice, if Christ is in you, notice again, Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you, these are used interchangeably. Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Here again, Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you. But I want you to notice the contrast he makes in this passage. The body being dead because of sin, but the Spirit being alive because of righteousness. He holds those up as a contrast. We saw last week that the life focused on the flesh is death. And here now we see this, flat, this fact, like it or not, sin has a deadly effect on our bodies. The body is dead because of sin. That's talking about the physical body. Now for a number of years, we don't notice it because we're young. We're learning, we're growing, we're getting stronger, but then something happens. Some of you have experienced it. I don't know what the age is. Some say it's in the 30s, maybe the 40s, or maybe the 50s. But all of a sudden, we noticed our body is literally dying around us. You just notice it all of a sudden. I envy those of you that haven't noticed that yet. I remember those days when I was completely unaware of this biblical truth that my body is dead. Now, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but just to be honest, sooner or later we all begin to see that our bodies are dead because of sin. Remember, what God told Eve in the garden. For the day that you eat from it, you will surely what? Die. Now, God doesn't make idle threats, and that's really not a threat. It's just he's saying, here's what's going to happen. And a lot happened when she took that fruit. Spiritually, she died. She, at that moment, was ashamed and ran and hid, as did Adam. But then her body began this process of dying. When sin entered to the human experience, it changed everything about us. We are born spiritually dead now, and we are born physically dying. That's the great news, isn't it? So this is something eventually we'll all see. Yet, here's the good news. Yet, it says, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, the word spirit here is not the Holy Spirit, it's the human spirit. The body is dead, but the spirit is a what? It's alive. The spirit is alive. 
Now here's a verse I showed you last week. I'm going to show you yet again this week. This is from Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, and that would be a spiritual death, made us alive together with Christ, say it with me, by grace you have been saved. That's a wonderful truth. That even though our bodies are dead and dying because of sin, inside of us, our spirit can be alive. That's good news, amen? We are alive spiritually because the Holy Spirit works in us. The Holy Spirit brings us to faith. The Holy Spirit then gives us forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ is placed in us. Now notice, yet the Spirit is alive because of what? Because of righteousness. It's now alive because of righteousness. So if we go back down the mountain a little bit to Romans chapter 3, notice this, but apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. So this righteousness that is life in us is not our righteousness. That should be very clear by now. It is the righteousness of Jesus that is now in us. So there's life because of that righteousness. Now again, I'll remind you that the Apostle Paul referred to Abraham. Remember that part where Abraham was dead physically and he was old, but there was this promise made to him, you're going to have a child and his wife was old and they said, how's that possible? But they had faith. Notice this then. Therefore, in Romans 4.22, it was credit to him as righteousness. What was? The faith. Yes, his body was dead and dying, but now this faith was in him and there was a righteousness, not just to him, but all those who believed. One more passage just on this point of the righteousness of Christ in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Notice that, so we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. That's why we're alive, because the Spirit has worked, and the very righteousness of Christ is now in us. That's really good news. We are physically dead and dying. That's the bad news. Spiritually, we can be alive, but not just alive, but being renewed day by day. I love this verse I think the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 is referring to his body because of all that he has been going through for the sake of the gospel. It says, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, that's the bad news, yet our inner man is what? Being renewed day by day. That's the good news. Now there's different terms used there. In Romans, he says the body is dead because of sin. In Corinthians, he says the outer man is decaying. In Romans, he says the spirit is alive because of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians, he says the inner man is being renewed. That is good news for everybody. Can I just say right now at this moment, this is especially good news for those of us 
that now realize our bodies are dead. Because we all realize, as we move on, there's things we can no longer do physically. We just all recognize that. We try to slow down the process, however you're trying to do that, and if you're not trying to do that, maybe you should try to do that. I don't know. That's up to you. Whatever we're doing to try to slow down that process, that process is still going to happen. But inside of us, the Spirit of God can renew us day by day. So at this season, I'm just speaking to some of you tonight or today. This season, when we're older, there's actually more we can do. Do you get it? Spiritually. Because the Spirit of God is renewing us inside day by day and maybe we have 50 years and maybe we have 60 years but every year he's renewing us to enable us to do more and more so please don't quit please please don't say yeah that's for the young people okay maybe some of it's for the young people because it's all physical i don't know but it's spiritual and we can step up to do that because of the holy spirit in us so then verse 10 There's bad news and good news. Obviously, the bad news is that we are dead men walking. The good news is our spirits are alive and are being renewed day by day. All right, last point today. In this text, we see the future resurrection by the Spirit. Here it is. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, there's that word again, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Yes, now the spirit of God gives us spiritual life, but we have something to look forward to after we die, this wonderful thing called the resurrection. Scripture talks a lot about that. We're not going to go into all the different places. We just don't have time for that. This idea of a future resurrection is talked about in the New Testament. It's referred to in the Old Testament. The Jewish people of Jesus' time had huge debates about, is there a resurrection? The Sadducees, the religious sect in Jesus' day, rejected absolutely the idea of the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) Somebody said that years ago, and every time I say the word Sadducees, I have to do that. That wasn't even in my notes. So the Apostle Paul affirms the truth of the resurrection And he grounds that on the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We could spend a lot of time on this verse. I just noticed a few things on how the Spirit is referred to here. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, and then His Spirit who dwells in you. The Him is God the Father, and his spirit, it's the spirit of God the Father. And, and I'll go, we could go to all kinds of different places that talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and we'll see that it was the Father that raised him. But there's more to that story. We're going to go on a little bit of a rabbit hole that I hope is profitable for, for you. We need to understand the fullness of the triune God is at work in our salvation. It's not just Jesus, it's not just God the Father, it's not just the Holy Spirit. They have this beautiful working together by which we're all saved and are being saved at this moment. Let me show you a number of passages that highlight that. This is the Apostle Peter. 
right at the introduction of his letter, he says this, I'm Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout all these places, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, who? God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Do you see the Trinity there? Fully. God had a plan. The Holy Spirit worked it. Jesus paid the sacrifice for it. It was all of God securing our salvation. From the very beginning, our salvation has been brought about by the triune God, this triune God that always works in perfect relationship. The Apostle Paul tries to encourage believers in this when he writes to the church at Corinth, who were all messed up about the Holy Spirit, by the way. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price, and the price was what? The blood of Jesus. You see the triune God yet again involved in our salvation. So back to our passage in Romans, the New Testament, when referring to the resurrection of Jesus, speaks about God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus in that whole process. Let me just show you this up on the screen. And God raised him up again. That's God the Father raised up Jesus, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Romans 1.4. Jesus, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection, go back. Go back. By the, the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. And then Jesus says this, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. So how did Jesus rise from the dead? The triune God worked together for this beautiful thing. And that should give us an assurance for us in the resurrection. It's going to happen. Amen. Who's going to make it happen? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is going to secure this wonderful thing. One more passage related to the security and, and how God works together in John 10 Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me, I give eternal life to them, they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's this wonderful security that he's offering his people. You're mine, I won you, I dwell you. I secured you, I've sealed you, we'll see that in just a moment. So take heart. Yeah, you're dying, but there's a great future to look forward to. I read a story, I don't know if it's true, but it's a great illustration, all right? I'll just default with that. It was uh, over in Portugal, there was this monastery built up at the top of this big cliff, and the only way to get up there was through this rope on this little trolley that was literally back in the day pulled by men up this huge cliff. So back in the day, this is a long time ago, when tourists would go there, they of course would want to go up there, and so they would get in this basket and literally be pulled way up to the top of this cliff. And one tourist who was in the basket looking at the rope, it looked a little frayed, 
So he hoped to relieve his fear by asking this question, how often do you change the rope? And the monk replied, well, whenever it breaks. <laughs> Not much security there, right? I am so thankful that we get to the top. God makes it happen. The rope doesn't break. Jesus is the rope. The Holy Spirit is the rope. God the Father is the rope. He's the one that gives us the ability to get to the top. There is a resurrection, and I'm looking forward to that. One of the questions I've been asked over the years, what will our bodies be like in the resurrection? Really good. <laughs> really good. I don't know what it's going to be like, but uh, Scripture says it's better than we can imagine. Yeah. I look forward to that the full work of the Spirit of God. And, and as we go in Romans 8, it talks about that all creation is groaning, waiting for this time when the sons of God are fully redeemed, even physically. One last passage just to encourage us today. Ephesians 1 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were what? sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. That word pledge could be a guarantee of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. I think that phrase redemption there is referring to our complete redemption. It's just kind of partial right now because it hasn't included our bodies when our bodies are redeemed fully. And it will be guaranteed because we've been sealed and God has made a promise. Good place for amen right there. We'll end on that. I'm looking forward to that someday. Next week, Pastor Scott's going to step up and we'll continue in Romans 8 and see more wonderful work of the Spirit of God and this idea of adoption. We've been adopted, the Spirit of adoption. Let's pray together as we close. Father God, we're thankful today again for the truth of your word because it just encourages us. And, and so I'm, I'm just buoyed up today again because your word is so powerful. Your truth is powerful to change. So Father, I pray for any here today that have just struggled with uh, doubt or fear or concern, even about their salvation or their relationship with you, would you confirm in them today by your Holy Spirit that they're yours? And in the same way, Father, that you would convict those here if there's some that aren't yours, that they would recognize that, that they've not responded to your work in them by just saying yes and turning away from any other hope and so that they might call out to you right now right now. So please work among us. Even as we sing these songs of praise, work among us for your glory in Jesus. Amen.